Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The key word here in this chapter is the word better. You might have even noticed it as we read the verses. But take a look at your Bible there. We'll, we'll go over these verses again, and we'll notice the times, the number of times that he uses the word better. Verse number one, a good name is better than precious ointment. Verse number two, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Verse number three, sorrow is better than laughter. For by it the sadness, or for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Verse number five, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. The lesson here is that God wants to give you better. I believe that's why we're here today. I believe that that's why as you come and you think about why do I go to church? It's because I want the better things. And God wants you to have the better things. God desires to give it to you. And those better things are almost, uh, maybe not almost always, but many times found in wisdom. Being able to be wise in what God has given to us and understanding what God wants for us will give us those better things. And I want to take a look at why wisdom is better. The first of which is wisdom gives us a better appreciation. There are many things in life that we would rather avoid. Places we would not like to go, conversations we would like to postpone, decisions that we would like to not have to make, maybe somebody will make it for us, And we might prefer something else in our lives and in in a relationship or different things, but we should appreciate the opportunities in wisdom. And Solomon is going to list four of these things, four of these areas that we should appreciate that maybe in our normal course of life we would maybe prefer to avoid, but we should appreciate them because they will do us good. We see this contrast of Solomon saying, this is better than that. And we'll see four of these. The first of which is, the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. In verse number one, he refers to this individual, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. So as you consider what Solomon is writing, and uh, maybe he's thinking about somebody in particular, maybe he's just thinking about people in general, but he's, he's considering this individual who is driven for success. And uh, he's so driven for success that he doesn't really care how he treats other people and, and uh, how he talks to them and how he considers them. And he doesn't care who he has to climb over to achieve his goals and, and to reach the prize that he think is, thinks is ahead of him in life. And, and he's not really that concerned with who he hurts and who he might, you know, uh, just kind of kick to the side just in order to gain an advantage. And he does what he wants without really thinking or caring about others. And uh, he lives a, a life in this world where everything is about him. Everything is oriented around him. Everything that happens, he thinks, is in relationship to him. He is at the center of the world. Now, of course, we know that nobody should live this way. We should not live in a way where the only thing that matters is me. 
that the only thing that matters is my goals and my successes and what I want out of life, we should think about others. We should think, first of all, of course, about the Lord and what the Lord desires and what God has done for us. Then, of course, we should think about our family and we should think about our church and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and uh, while we know that nobody should live this way, for the person who does live that way, I mean, how is he supposed to snap out of it? You know, you, I don't know if you know a person like this, but if you did, you could imagine how the conversation might go. That kind of driven person, if you were to talk to that kind of individual, you'd say, you know what, I know that you have some goals, you're very driven, you're very successful, and you know, you're very good at what you do, but man, you really treat people poorly, and, and you really should not treat people that way. I think many of us could imagine how that conversation might go, and understand, you know what, he's probably just going to keep on living that way, because that's how he thinks. How he thinks is, life is about me and my success and what I want to do. And Solomon says here, let me show you a way, an opportunity where somebody like that might learn and why the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. He says in the day of death than the day of one's birth, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Why? For that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You know what he's saying here? What he's saying is, if you go to the house of mourning, which we would use the term maybe a funeral home. If you go to a funeral home, that could be better than going to the house of feasting. Now, in our minds, we would say, you know what, I would rather not go to a funeral home because you know what that means, right? It means somebody close to me has passed away, somebody I love, somebody I respect, somebody I admire maybe, a family member, a friend, a, a fellow church member, somebody that, that you're close to has passed away. It's maybe not a place that we like to go to, but those places can be better for us because it is in those places that we might learn because it is in those places that we will re be reminded and remember, this is the end of all men. Every one of us will end up here one day, sooner or later, and the living will lay it to his heart. A person who maybe lives all for himself and just thinks about himself, maybe he goes to the funeral of a friend and he hears what people say about his friend, he might think about, you know what, it would be nice maybe when, when I pass away, that somebody would say something like that about me. That somebody would think about me that way. Instead of when I pass away, nobody wants to go to my funeral, nobody has anything nice to say, and nobody would say anything about, you know, he was so good to me, and he always thought about me, and he cared about me, and he remembered me, and he reached out to me, and, and I remember this time when I was going through a difficult day, he really was a big help to me. It, it might be nice to be able to have a moment like that, and while we might not willingly want to go to a place like that, Solomon recognizes, you know what, going to a place like that might be good for us because we might learn a lesson or two. Uh, now, we might prefer laughter because laughter is a lot more fun than mourning. But we might learn more from a funeral than from feasting. And it would make us think about our lives and how we live and how we treat others and how we prioritize ourselves in life. 
Solomon continues and he says in verse number five, wise rebuke is better than foolish praise. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For is the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Well, here's another thing that we might like to avoid in life. We might like to avoid rebuke. Correction. Because who likes to be corrected? Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong, that you made a mistake, that you did the wrong thing, you made a wrong decision, you, you said the wrong thing. Nobody likes to hear those things. In many ways, uh, we don't like to hear those things because we know them to be true. We already know we made the wrong decision. And just to hear somebody else say that confirms that. And maybe we don't feel so great about that. And we don't, we don't like that. But we would be better off being told a wise no than a foolish yes. It would be better for us, for a wise individual to come alongside of us and say, you know what, I really think that you're making a mistake here. I think you're making a decision here that is not the right decision. You're not going in the right direction. You're not prioritizing yourself well. We would do better if a wise individual came alongside of us and said something like that, though we might not feel very good in the moment, than for somebody who is a fool to just say, yeah, keep on, carry on. Yeah, you're doing great. Yeah, just keep on. You can ignore all of the haters and ignore all of the critics. Just keep on moving forward. And we would be much better off if a wise person came alongside of us and told us, you know what, I think you need to pull the brakes here. Rather than for a foolish individual to just give us a yes, yes, yes. Be yes men behind us and, and pushing us in that direction. If foolish praise relieves our pain, it is wise rebuke that heals our wounds. You know, you could take painkillers day after day after day, and it might make you feel better, but it doesn't make you better. Sometimes you have to take your medicine. Sometimes you have to be told the tough things in life. Sometimes you have to be reminded of what you said that you would do, your promises and your commitments. You have to be reminded of some of these things, and, and we would do well to receive the rebuke. It doesn't feel good to be rebuked, but Solomon reminds us it is in the rebuke that wisdom can be found. Proverbs chapter 27 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Now that second phrase might sound a little cryptic to some, but he elaborates, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know what your enemy would do? He would say, oh yeah, that is the wrong decision and I'm going to do all that I can to help him keep on making the wrong decisions. You know, it's your good friends, your godly mentors, those Christians in your life that when you go astray will come alongside and say, hey, I think you're on the wrong road here. And we should be thankful for that kind of a friend that would care about us, that would see us, and love us enough to be able to risk that relationship in order to say a word that maybe they know would, would, would be difficult to receive, but still in hopes that it would do them well. The third area in which Solomon addresses is that the long haul is better than the shortcut. Boy, we love shortcuts, don't we? Boy, if we could have a shortcut to everything, we would take the shortcut in everything. But the shortcut isn't always the better way. In fact, shortcuts are usually not the better way. 
In verse number seven, he says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. So in verse number seven, he's going to use an illustration to get to the point that he's trying to make. And, and the illustration here is one of corruption. A gift destroyeth the heart. It's the idea of bribery and corruption. And every one of us knows that corruption is terrible. Corruption is bad. And uh, whether it's political corruption, you know, somebody is buying off a politician or, you know, some uh, business or organization is giving a lot of money into this individual or whatever to try to influence a decision. And, you know, that kind of corruption, it, that's a terrible thing. And it's not just in politics. It happens in business. It happens maybe in your workplace. It might happen in school and college admissions. I mean, I don't know where all of these things might take place, but it's certainly possible that it could happen in all of those different areas. And all of us would say that is wrong. Now, for those that have maybe the money or influence, that would be their shortcut. You know, I'm going to get my kid into this college by maybe bribing the admissions officer or something. Or, you know, a business says, you know what, rather than making a better product, we're going to uh, buy the government politicians that will make a decision that will lean in our favor and, and maybe kill off competition or, or whatever the case might be. We all know that that's the wrong thing, but a business or a person might think that that's the shortcut, the, the easiest way for them to get their goal. But we all know that's the wrong thing and in the long run, ends up doing more bad than good for sure. Verse number 80 continues, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So now he gets to the point and he says, All right, for us to really get what we want, we have to go through the process. We have to go through the process, whether it's, in our personal lives of getting up early and exercising and eating well, whether it's at the workplace and doing the hard work to advance our career or whatever the case might be, doing the right thing will yield the best results. Sometimes it's the hard way. Sometimes we think that the shortcut will get us what we want, but Solomon warns against the shortcut, against the easy route, just because it's easier. And Solomon's really going to drive at a particular point here of, all right, what are you getting at, Solomon? Okay, you're saying that the shortcut is not the way that we should go, but what shortcut are you talking about? Verse number nine, he talks about anger. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. You know, he's using all of these illustrations to get to the point. The point is this. I know that anger might seem to get the result that you want, but that's not the shortcut that you desire. Anger might seem to solve your problems. I mean, let's just take it into some different situations in life. Let's take your home situation. An angry parent might start yelling at a child because, you know, she's not doing her homework, he's not listening, or he's not stopping when you tell him to stop. And, and, and the shortcut might be like, you know what, if I just yell at him, then he stops and he listens to me and he, and he sits down and he does his homework. And, or maybe you go to the workplace and you have an angry boss. And when, when the, the numbers are down and the revenue is not where he thought it would be or, you know, the performance is not what he was hoping for or expecting, you know, uh, you might have an angry boss that just starts yelling and berating at all of the employees in a meeting and just, you know, saying, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be doing this. How come we're like this? You know, you guys aren't working hard enough and just kind of yelling off and getting angry and upset at the employees. 
You might have a husband yelling at the wife because she disagrees with uh, some financial uh, decision that he makes about buying a new car or going on a trip or doing different things. Or it could be the other way around. A wife gets mad at the husband and starts uh, yelling at this or that and uh, all sorts of different things. And in the short run, anger can seem to work. See, when I yelled at him, he listened and he started doing what I told him to do. See, it worked. See, when I started yelling and, and started getting upset, then, then she really shaped up and she really joined my side and said that, yeah, it's okay for me to, she said that I could spend the money now, didn't she? She said that. And, and uh, it might seem like anger is that shortcut that gets us what we want, but anger is the shortcut that only leads to a dead end. Because guess what happens when the only tool that you have to get your children to listen is anger? Guess what? When they grow up, why would they want to come back? Who wants to spend time with an angry parent? That any time there's a disagreement, there's going to be yelling, there's going to be some, some shouting, there's going to be some uh, difficult confrontations. In the short run, you might be able to get away with it. When you've got little kids, you can get away with that. And maybe when they're a little bit older, you might be able to get away with that. But when they're teenagers, you can really see whether or not that's really working or not. And when they, when they graduate high school, when they get the opportunity to live out on their own, then, then you can really begin to realize, you know what, that, that, that's not working. That didn't work. And unfortunately, it's too late. By that point, they, and there's an opportunity to maybe restore that relationship down the road, but it's going to be a lot of work. In fact, in many ways, harder work than if you just would have kept your temper at the beginning. And in many ways, instead of getting angry, what we should realize is, you know what, maybe my methods are not working. Maybe I need to spend a little bit more time and, and uh, really invest a little bit more into my children and really think about uh, what, what does God say about parenting? Uh, maybe you have that boss that just gets upset whenever there's a result that he doesn't like. Guess what's going to happen? Maybe in the short term, the next quarter, maybe the revenues do go up for a little while. But you know what? Guess what? Your best employees, they're not going to want to stick around. Who wants to work for somebody like that? For 10 years, 20 years, you think he wants, he could go somewhere else and get maybe just as good a paying job. And even if so, he might take a pay cut to get out of that situation to be in a better work situation. You know, in the short term, that might seem to get the, the, the result that you're looking for, but anger is no shortcut. That's what Solomon is saying. Psalms chapter 37, seeds from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. James chapter 1 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wisdom teaches us to do the hard work sometimes. And sometimes we do need to go back and reevaluate what we do and how we live and, and uh, what we're doing in order to achieve the results that we desire, maybe in our own lives, maybe in the relationships that we have in the workplace and in your home. Uh, don't take the shortcut. The longer road might seem like the, the harder road, but in many ways, that is the shortcut. The long road is the shortcut. Fourthly, what we see is that today is better than yesterday. Verse number 10 says, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You know, we have a phrase today, the good old days. You ever talk about the good old days? You ever think about the good old days? Solomon's saying, stop thinking about the good old days. 
that they're better than today. Somebody said, it's been said that the good old days are the combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, you know, it's easy to romanticize the past and, oh, it was so great when this and that and, oh, oh, man, it was so much better back in the day and, and uh, maybe there are some things that, that, that might have been uh, better, and, uh, but let's, let's make no mistake about it. Every generation has had tough times. Every generation has their struggles growing up, and, and the church has always had difficulties in, uh, in uh, you know, reaching people with the gospel, and there's always been persecution around. And So the lesson here is make the most of today. We can learn from the past, but don't waste today. Appreciate the moments of learning, whether it be in the house of mourning, whether not to take the shortcut, to listen to rebuke, or to really just take advantage of each and every day living for the Lord. Secondly, what we see is that wisdom gives us a better adaptation. So wisdom, first of all, gives us a better appreciation, some of the things that we might like to avoid. Wisdom says, if you don't avoid them, you might be better off. The second is it gives us a better adaptation. It gives us a better adaptability. Now, in this world, it seems like just about everyone thinks that the answer to everything is money. And Solomon alludes to this in verse number 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Solomon is trying to make his argument for if you have a choice between wisdom and money, you should choose wisdom because most people choose money if they could. And uh, we see a lot of this if you look at politics today. The answer to pretty much everything is more money. What's the problem with education? Not enough money. What's the problem with healthcare? Money. What's the problem with uh, all of the social things here in our country? If we just had more money and put it more into this and put it more into that, then we would have all of our problems to be solved. And, and uh, you know, name the problem, it feels like, and somebody's going to say, you know what the answer is? We don't have enough money. Now, we do have to acknowledge that money is useful in many areas, and while wisdom is beneficial, wisdom is better. People crave money, but it would be better to have wisdom. I heard recently about uh, Charlie Munger, and uh, he's the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway is one of the largest companies in the world. It's controlled by Warren Buffett, who is one of the wealthiest people in the world. And uh, Charlie Munger, is, uh, he's 99 years old. On January 1st of next year, he's going to turn 100 years old. He's been around a long time. And he's got quite a large amount of money. And he was asked about money and his kids, and I'm sure his grandkids and his, you know, maybe great-grandkids and things like that. And uh, he asked whether all the money that he has would ruin his kids. You know, if you've got billions of dollars and you give it to your kids, is that going to ruin your kids? And, uh, and uh, he said, uh, yes, yes, it's going to ruin them. But he also said, but you have to give it to them because if you don't, they'll hate you. <laughs> 
And he was felt like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. If I give them the money, it'll ruin them. If I don't give them the money, it'll ruin them. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And sometimes it feels like the answer would be more money. But here is Munger with all the money in the world. And he feels like if I do this, there's, it's a bad thing. If I do this, it's a bad thing. There's a no-win situation here. And so Solomon makes his uh, argument for wisdom that it gives us an adaptability in life. First of all, in the unchangeable things in life. There are some things in your life that you cannot change. There are some things in your life that just, for whatever reason, that's just how it was. And we have no real answer to it. It just is what it is. You know, you had no control over who your parents are. You have no control over where you were born. You had no control over what generation you were born in. Imagine if you were born a thousand years ago, your life would have been very, very different than it is today. You had no control over that. That was, that was decided for you in a way. You can't change your DNA. You know, genetically, people are this way or that way, you know, not just with height or appearance or things like that, but also natural talents and abilities. Some people are more creative. Some people are more analytical. Some people have a natural uh, 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 disposition towards leadership. And everybody's got different DNA. You can't change whether you're a man or a woman. If you're born a man, you're a man. If you're born a woman, you're a woman. You can't change certain circumstances in your life. You can't change many of the things in your life. And, and what you see in our culture today is the, the arrogancy that we could change anything. And anything that we want to change should be changed. But that is not wise. Wisdom gives us the adaptability to deal with the unchangeable things in life. Verse number 13 says, Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? You know, if God really decided to do something, there's nobody who could do anything about it. You know, if God just decided, you know what, this is it, this earth is over, none of us can stop that. And you know what, it would do us well to realize there are certain things that cannot be stopped. The things of God. Let's not fight against God. Let's go with the Lord. Let's understand there are certain things that God has said in his word that cannot be changed, and we should go with God. We should follow God. That's what wisdom will lead us to. We understand that nobody has a perfect situation. Nobody had a perfect upbringing. Nobody had a perfect environment or situation. Everybody's got some, you know, maybe personal flaws or situations that they come up, that uh, grew up in, that they look back on and say, wow, that really, that really set me back. That really hurt me. That, that was really a tough situation. Everybody has things like that. But wisdom gives us the adaptability to deal with those things that, that were unchangeable in our life. Wisdom also gives us the adaptability in the ups and downs of life. Because nobody has a smooth road all the way through life. Everybody has ups and downs. Life is a roller coaster. You go up, and then you go down, and you go up, and you go down, and then it seems like right when things start to level off, you go back up again, and then you come down again. You know, it's just a roller coaster going round and around and around, up and down, and, and sometimes that can be difficult. In verse number 14, it says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. 
He said, oh, there's going to be some joyful days. Enjoy those days. But, you know, you're going to have some down days too. You should, you should consider that. And he considered God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. You know, sometimes we have some down days and some difficult times because of decisions that we've made. The Bible makes it very clear. Sin has consequences. You know, if you say something wrong to a friend, that's going to damage that relationship. If you say something mean to a brother or a sister, to your parents, to your husband or wife, that's, that's going to hurt that relationship that you have. And, and that's something that you caused. It's what you said, what you did, maybe what you neglected. And, and that's something that happens. And so there, there are going to be some difficulties and some down days, some down things because of some things that you did. But Sometimes there are things in life that you're just going through a down season and you just can't figure out why. Consider the life of Job. The Bible describes Job as an upright man. He eschewed evil. He said, I, I want nothing to do with evil, nothing to do with sin. I want nothing to do with the wickedness of this world and the wickedness of people around me. I want to follow God. I want to do what God says. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, you'll know that in a day he lost all of his wealth and he lost all of his kids. And then soon after that, he lost all of his health. And his own wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you've got nothing left. Why don't you just, why don't you just end your life? It's basically what, what, what she was saying. You know what the Bible says that it was recorded of what Job said in chapter 13? It says, wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him but I will maintain my own ways before him. You know what he says? He says, I, I don't understand what's going on in my life or why these things are happening. And, and the temptation is to just take control of my life. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to continue to trust God in the down days of my life. You know what the Bible records at the very end of Job? It records that he had double his wealth. He had 10 more children. And God blessed him in an even greater way at the end. The high of his life was not before, it was in the future. We also see the unfairness of life. Verse 15, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Sometimes you look around and it just seems like the wicked people are successful and the righteous people are failing. Uh, they're coming up short. It seems like all the people that get all of the things that they want in life are the people who do evil, they disobey God, they just make their decisions contrary to the Bible. And look at them. They have all the money. They get to do all of the things that they want to do. And it seems like they're the ones that are getting ahead in life. That doesn't seem fair. Solomon has some counsel there. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Verse 18, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. You know what he's saying? He's saying don't make your judgment based on the score at the end of the first quarter or even at halftime, or even after three quarters. Judge who wins by the final score. You know what Solomon says? The final score is those that fear God. The, the desire that we want in the final score is for those that if we fear the Lord, we will come out successful in the end. 
Thirdly, what we see is that wisdom gives us a better application. In verse number 19, he says, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. You know what he's saying? He says one person that just has a little bit of wisdom would be more effective than ten mighty men just really pushing, but not quite pushing in the most effective way. Uh, there's a story that's told about uh, Henry Ford, and uh, he had some engineers, and he had a problem uh, with this generator, and uh, he couldn't figure out what, it, what was going on, and his engineers couldn't figure out what was going on, and so he called this man over, uh, Charles Steinmetz, and uh, apparently he was a genius and, and uh, knew a lot of things, and uh, so he arrived, and, and uh, he said, hey, we have this problem here, we can't figure out what's going on, and uh, you know, we're here for you, and he said, all right, just, just leave me alone, uh, give me a notebook, and uh, give me some time, and so after a couple of days, uh, he, he called Ford over, Henry Ford over, and he said, all right, come over here, he got a ladder, and he got up, and uh, on the generator, he put a, a, a white X mark with some chalk, and he said, behind that panel, I want you to take all of the, the windings that are there and replace them. And uh, they did, and the generator started working again. And of course, Henry Ford was thrilled. He said, oh, great, the problem is solved. And so uh, he uh, asked for the bill. He got an invoice of $10,000. And uh, of course, now $10,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but back in Henry Ford's days, that, that was a lot. Like 100 years ago, that was a lot of money. And uh, he said, uh, $10,000, that's a lot of money. I, I want you to break down this invoice. And uh, so he gave the invoice as the following. Making a chalk mark on the generator, $1. Knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. <laughs> You know what? Just about any fool could put an X mark anywhere, but it takes a wise man to put it in the right place. You know, any one of us can have some ideas about, oh, you should do this, oh, you should do that, but you know the wisdom of God will know just right where to put that X mark and say, why don't you apply yourself here? Why don't you put all of your focus and your energy here? Why don't you just think about this is where you should focus? And let's take a look at some of the areas in our lives in which God kind of gives us some advice for where do we need to apply ourselves. Let's take a look at our deeds. Why do people do bad things? Is it because of society? Society just kind of trained them to do that? Is it because of peer pressure? Oh, they had a bad friend, that's why they do those things. Is it because of their parents and their upbringing? Oh, my, my dad, you know, raised me this way. My mom would, would do these things. That's why I do these things. You know, the Bible makes it very clear. You know why people do bad things? Because they're sinners. That's why they do bad things. Now, it doesn't help to have peer pressure. It doesn't help to have a parent that gives a bad, you know, guidance. But, you know, people do bad things because they're sinners. They can be selfish. They can be greedy. They can be mean. They can lie. They can steal, they can belittle others, and not just, you know, the quote-unquote terrible, wicked people out there, even people that, close to you that you love. They're sinners too. You know that person that you're married to, your husband or wife? They're a sinner as well. Your children, they're sinners. Your parents are, 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 are sinners. Your friends, your fellow Christians, your pastor. Everybody's a sinner. Not only those that are close to you are sinners, the person you love the most is a sinner. You know who that person is? You. You're a sinner too. 
Verse number 20 says, There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You know, the temptation might be, you know what? If we could just deal with all of the problems out there, then my life would be perfect. You know what Solomon says? No, you're applying yourself in the wrong place. You're putting that chalk mark X in the wrong place. You know where you need to apply yourself? Not outside, but inside. In your heart. In your life. Too many times we think that the problem was, is without. But nobody makes you sin more than yourself. And we know that because there's a man in the Bible that lived the perfect life. His name is Jesus. Now, Jesus was no ordinary man. Of course, we know that he was God. But here is Jesus, the sinless son of God, living among some of the biggest hypocrites you'll ever meet, the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, look at us. We're so perfect. We're so righteous. We're so much better than everybody else. You know what Jesus, the son of God, said? You guys are the worst. I mean, imagine having to deal with these guys all the time. And imagine his disciples. You know, the, uh, the Bible records an incident where he's telling his disciples, you know, uh, it's coming up soon. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And uh, I'm going to be buried three days later. I'll rise again from the dead, though, you know. And he's trying to, you know, prep his people. And the, the Bible records that the very next conversation that his disciples had was not, oh, Jesus, you're not going to, where are you going to go? Can we do anything? You know what they said? They had a debate among themselves. Who's the greatest disciple? You know, they didn't, they didn't even think about Jesus was going to die. They thought about who's better. I'm better. You, uh, no, you, John, you're not better than me. I'm better than you. And they had this big debate about who was the greatest disciple. And yet, despite all of those different things, all of the temptations in life that, that you might experience, Jesus faced those same things and came through sinless out of them all. Paul writes about the struggle that he had in Romans chapter 7. It's a fairly lengthy passage, so you might want to read it on the screen, but I'm going to read this passage because he, he really opens up his heart and he describes this, uh, uh, this battle that's within his heart. Romans chapter 7, verse number 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. You know what he says? I want to do right, but I don't do right. I know I shouldn't do wrong, and yet I do wrong. I, what's wrong with me? Is kind of what he's saying, it feels like. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I want to do good, but I can't do it for some reason. For the good that I would do, uh, I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. For I do, I would not, it is, more that, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He's saying, I have the sin nature in me that I cannot control. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, uh, to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? When you think about some of the greatest Christians in all of history, Paul comes either at the top of the list or near the top of the list, and he's writing about the struggle that he has. 
I, I don't know what to do. I, I want to do right, and I can't bring myself to do right. I do wrong so many times. I'm such a wretched man. Who's going to save me from myself? That's what he's saying. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You know what he's saying? There's only one hope. It's not me. It's the Lord. You know what he's saying? My biggest struggle is not with the Caesar. It's not with religious hypocrites. It's not with, you know, the, the people who have let me down. My biggest struggle is me. You know what? Wisdom says, you know what? You know where to put that X mark of where you would find the most effectiveness of how you could live your life? Put your emphasis and focus on yourself, on your heart. And recognize yourself, your heart, and realize, you know what? Just like Paul acknowledged, I'm in the same situation. There's a battle within my heart, and I lose that battle so many times, and there's only one place of victory, and his name is Jesus Christ. We also see in our words, verse 21, also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. Boy, it's never nice when you hear somebody say something mean about you. You know, somebody, you know, maybe didn't think that you were around. Maybe you're in the workplace. Maybe it's a family or relative. It might even happen here at church. I hope it doesn't happen here. But, you know, it could happen. Somebody says something mean about you, not realize, realizing that you're close by and you overhear what they say. Or maybe somebody told somebody else and then word gets around and word gets back to you. And, of course, we don't, you know, always trust the gossip that goes around. But, you know, in this case, let's say it is true that somebody said something really mean or really nasty about you, unkind, unloving, and, you know, have no desire to be a help. They just want to gossip about you and, and spread all of the, you know, bad things about you and talk to others. And, and uh, you know, it, that, that doesn't feel good. And, and we might feel like, uh, you know, going over there and getting some retribution over there and maybe even telling some bad things about them in return. But Solomon gives us a warning in verse 22. He says, uh, be careful, for oftentimes also thine own heart, you know that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. How many of us have said something about somebody else that maybe wasn't nice, maybe wasn't kind? Maybe we were just, we could give all sorts of excuses. I was just really frustrated at the time. I was going through a really def difficult situation at home. And, you know, he just drew that out of me and things like that. But, you know, the Bible makes it very clear. We should be very careful because, yes, that's not very kind, but we should focus on ourselves. We turn again to Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount now in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how, uh, how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You know what uh, Jesus is saying? He's saying, focus on yourself first. Uh, you, you've got something here in your own heart first? Why don't you deal with that first? You would be more effective dealing with that first, and then you would be able to really help your brother. This third situation is in our circumstances. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 23. All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness of madness. 
And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands who so pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I found not. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. You know, it might be a temptation to think about, all right, think about all of the problems that you might have in your life and how perfect life would be if all of those problems just went away. All right, just think about in, in your own mind about all the problems that you have in your life. Maybe you've got a, you know, a situation in your marriage. You know what? If he would just stop doing that, then our marriage would be perfect. You know what? If she would just make this little change, then our marriage would be great. And if my kids would just do this and listen to me, then everything would be fine. And if my parents would just stop getting on my case day after day after day, then my life would be perfect. Or your friends, or your boss, or your financial situation, or whatever problem it is that you have in your life, take all of them, put them into a bag, and then let's say somehow supernaturally all of those problems got taken away. Your life is still not going to be perfect. You know how we know that? Because God created man in a perfect situation. Adam was created in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. He was made without sin. He didn't know about sin. There were not all of these other people to deal with, just him and Eve in a perfect situation in the Garden of Eden, they would walk together in the cool of the day, and still Adam found a way to sin. There's this one tree that God said, don't eat of it, and still, what did he do? He ate of it. You know, it might be tempting to think, you know what, if all of those people would just make all of those changes, then my life would be perfect. And you know what wisdom says? You would be better if you would just apply yourself more effectively Instead of trying to change that person, why don't you try to change yourself? Amen. And you'll realize that's impossible. <laughs> I can't change myself. Paul said, I don't want to do these things and I do them. And I want to do those things and I don't do them. How, what am I supposed to do? And if you realize that, you'll realize that it's not just you in that situation. Everybody's in that situation. People do things that they don't want to do. And people don't do the things that they know that they need to do. You know, the only solution to that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We should all turn our eyes, instead of looking at each other, pointing fingers at each other, just saying, why don't we just all look to the Lord and say, you know what? You know how we can get out of this situation? By the Lord. 